out of the, the holiday a few weekends ago. I don't know if any of you braved the traffic, you braved the crowds. I, I'm actually curious if any of you did any shopping. Um, I was out of town, but I heard the traffic for the outlet mall next door was unbelievable this year. The parking lots were full. The roads around the mall were full. Uh, our parking lot was used by shoppers who would park here and walk all the way down to the mall. And uh, personally, I don't know if the deals are all that worth it worth the crowds and worth the lines. What I really wonder, is it worth the challenge of trying to find your car afterwards? <laughs> Let me ask you, have you ever been somewhere with a very crowded parking lot, not quite paid attention to where you parked, gone inside, spent the, uh, half a day, and then come out to the lot struggling to find your car? Uh, had to walk up and down the aisles in a search for your car. Uh, has, anybody, has anybody ever had to have somebody else drive them around a parking lot while they look for their car? I'll admit to that. Uh, one study found that 55% of us have forgotten where we parked. Uh, another one showed that one third of us cannot remember where we parked at least once a month. And the reason is, it's not so much that we can't remember, it's that we kind of ignored where we parked in the first place. Now, my guess is, as much as you may have done that, you've never done it to this extreme. Six years ago, a man in Frankfurt, Germany, found a car that he had lost. By that, I mean he ignored where he parked it in the first place in 1997. 20 years earlier, he had parked his Volkswagen Passat. There it is right there. And he could not think of where he put it. After searching everywhere he could, he reported it stolen to the police. Of course, it didn't rise to the top of the things the police had to worry about, so nobody ever found the car until 20 years later in a parking garage of an old industrial building that they were getting ready to demolish. The construction crew decided to report this car that had been sitting in the garage, reported to the police. After checking through old records, the authorities found the 20-year-old report they notified the man who was now 76 years old. So his daughter drove him down to get the car, and when he got there, he said, oh yeah, this is where I put it. <laughs> he got in the car, put the keys in the ignition, and would you believe that it started? If you do, you're gullible, because there is no way, <laughs> there is no way a Volkswagen that old is gonna start. No, it didn't start and they scrapped it for the metal. Well, it's interesting how the things that are valuable to us, I mean, the car's expensive. It's interesting how things often get ignored. Or maybe, maybe a better way to put it is we sometimes don't pay attention to them the way that you would think. It's not like, like he ignored he had a car. It's just he didn't pay attention to where he put it. And maybe you can think of things in your life that you've ignored and then found yourself wondering why you didn't pay attention. Speaking of things we don't pay attention to, I've noticed sometimes there are people that we stop paying attention to. So reading an article a few weeks ago about an MIT professor who had a student walk into the MIT media lab and a song was playing and, and she heard the song and she said to the professor, is this Coldplay? Uh, it was not. It was imagined by John Lennon. <laughs> and the professor took it in stride and figured the student didn't recognize the song because, you know, it wasn't from her generation. But it raised a question for him, which was, how long does it take for popular people to fall out of the cultural consciousness? For famous people to start becoming ignored. 
With his MIT colleagues, he developed Pantheon, which is a, a data set that ranks historical figures over the last 6,000 years. Uh, Aristotle and Plato took the top spots. Jesus was third in popularity. Obviously, those three and many others have not faded. But what they found was the most famous people stopped being paid attention to within about five to 30 years. That seems short. How could that even be? Well, let's do this. Elvis Presley. Among singers throughout history, when it comes to popularity at MIT, they figured out Elvis was number one. But then Elvis started to fade. How did they figure this out? Elvis Presley memorabilia. Tons of people bought Elvis memorabilia for years and it was collecting huge prices. And then all of a sudden the prices started to collapse. And, and the MIT researchers asked, well, what happened? What happened was the people who collected Elvis memorabilia started to die. And their families were stuck with all this Elvis stuff and then trying to sell it, but all of the people who were buyers were also dying. <laughs> and so they did the math. Elvis died in 1977. That's about 50 years ago, certainly uh, longer than the 50 to 30 year average. But it's to say, even the most popular singer of all time is having less and less and less attention paid to him. Let me ask you a question. 50 years from now, will people be talking about Elvis? I don't imagine they'll be forgotten, but paid attention to the way my parents paid attention to him, my grandparents. Will my kids, kids, kids pay attention to Elvis? No way. Even the most popular people and things will someday be ignored. And the reason I bring it up today is not so much for us to talk about whether people will pay attention to you after you've gone. I bring it up because I have a question for you. Do you feel paid attention to right now. One of the things that I've noticed as a pastor who, who gets to talk with a lot of people about what's going on in their world, I, I've noticed that when things get difficult, when they're going through a crisis, when, when they're experiencing loss, when we find ourselves dealing with deep disappointment, we can feel ignored. I was talking with someone a few weeks ago who, whose teenager could not wait to get out of the house. Their parents loved them deeply, but there's always been some tension there. And this kid was just waiting for the first second that they could be independent. And once they were able to, they were gone. And their son put a lot of distance between him and his parents, not just physical, but emotional, relational distance. And the disappointment that parent felt in the, in the loss, it had them looking to God going, are you paying attention? Are you ignoring what's going on with me, with, with, with us? I have been praying for you to fix this relationship and I've got nothing. Do you notice me? Another person, this one in their 70s, this is someone who's recently remarried found the person of her dreams. She's been married about 10 years now, and her husband has worked and worked and worked into his 70s, finally retired last year. Now they could spend some quality time together. And all of a sudden, he's showing signs of dementia. And time together is likely gonna start looking very different than she had always imagined. And it would be fair for her to say, God, are you ignoring me? I've watched people deal with abuse and addiction and rejection and, and financial challenge. And the underlying question, you would think it's why. Why did any of this happen? And that is there 
But often what I found is a different question under the surface of that, and frankly, an even bigger one. Why hasn't God paid attention to me? I am sure he's aware I'm here. I know that he remembers me. That's what Jody talked to us about last week. But is he aware of what's going on in my life? Like, does he notice this? If he remembers me and says that he's going to act, but isn't doing anything about this right now, then it's got to mean he's ignoring me. Well, I want to show you something today in Hebrew that speaks to that. We are in a series called Unwrapped, the world within the words. And and the concept is pretty simple. There are some Hebrew words we find in the Old Testament that if you knew these words, they would change your life. It's not often we get to do deep dives into ancient languages around here. Um, I will confess to you, Hebrew is hard. So hard in seminary, I had to take it twice. I don't tell many people that, but, but I quit after two weeks the first time and said, I'm gonna take this when I have a summer to do nothing but Hebrew. It's that hard. It's the reason that for the most part, we, we stick with our English translations. And, and when we do talk about ancient languages, we tend to talk about the Greek words that we find in the New Testament. But there are some Hebrew words that when we translate these words to English, they, they seem so pedestrian And it's not until you unwrap them in Hebrew that you see the verses they're in are far richer than you ever knew. And sometimes, or oftentimes, all the time, these unwrapped words can be very relevant to our lives today. And the word we're going to look at this morning speaks to this question you might be having right now, or, or you've had it in the past. If you haven't had it yet, you will have it in the future. Is God ignoring me? Or has my popularity with God faded like John Lennon or Elvis? Not paid attention to, not important, not relevant to him anymore. The first time we see the word I'm going to show you today used is in Genesis 21. Some backstory that you need to know. Abraham and Sarah have been promised by God that they will be parents of this new nation, Israel. They will have children, and their children will have children, and their children will have children. God will give them so many descendants, they'll become a great nation, his nation. I know Jody told a story last week about Hannah who wanted a child. Different person, different Hebrew word. Jody taught about Zakar, where God remembered and acted. But with Sarah, who we're going to look at, it's not as if God has ever forgotten her. I mean, she was his plan to give birth to his people. But, but at the point we're about to pick up at in Genesis 21... That has not happened. Sarah is 90 years old, and God is still not delivered on his promise, a promise he made 25 years earlier when when she was already 65. Lots of things have gone on in Sarah's life between then and now, lots of not-so-good things, and she has waited, and it would be easy for her to feel ignored. But at 90 years old, in Genesis 21, verse 1, here is what we read. Then the Lord pakad. Would you say that word with me? Pakad. Let's one more time. Pakad. Then the Lord pakad Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had promised. God pakad did Sarah. Now, I, I never like giving you verses without the surrounding context. So here's how this continues. Verse 2. So Sarah conceived and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the appointed time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham named that son who was born to him, the son whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. God pakotted Sarah and she was able to get pregnant and give birth to a son. 
Now, one of the fascinating things about the Hebrew words that we're unwrapping this series is that English never seems to quite do them justice. There is no easy English equivalent to Picard. And because of that, many different versions of the Bible translate this right here very differently. The New International Version translates it this, this way. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah, as he had said. The English Standard Version says, the Lord visited Sarah as he had said. Those are very different, right? The King James Version says that as well. The New Revised Standard Version says, the Lord dealt with Sarah as he had said. I love that. It makes it sound like God is a mob boss. <laughs> so I told him to deal with her. Deal with that Sarah situation. Uh, maybe my favorite is the New American Standard. Then the Lord took note of Sarah, as he had said. As if God had gotten out a, a pen and a pad of paper 25 years earlier and wrote her name on a to-do list. To-do, laundry, defrost the chicken, make sure Sarah gets pregnant. <laughs> And now as she is 90, God is reading his notes and finally checking that off. I took note of it. Why is this so hard? Why all of the different pacots? Because there is no English equivalent. All we know for sure is that God had made a promise 25 years earlier and God would now think of Sarah and pay attention to her. Now let's hang with that translation for a second. It is as imperfect as those other words and phrases. In fact, it's incomplete. Because pay attention to gives off this connotation that God was dismissive of her. That God didn't really care about his promise. But we know that God was not like ignoring Sarah. After all, she would be the, the mother of his people, Israel. She was the plan. She had been his plan all along. Again, Jody talked about feeling forgotten last week. Sarah never felt forgotten. Maybe she felt ignored. But now, God was putting his attention to fulfilling his promise. Here's what he was doing. He was paying attention to and then attending to the situation. And while God paid attention to Sarah would be an incomplete translation because paid attention to seems like, like maybe he was ignoring her. Paid attention to and attended to? Well, that is what God does when he fulfills a promise. He turns his attention toward a thing that he is intending to do. Picard is when God turns his attention toward you and a thing he is intending to do. Now, I know that that is a mouthful, but I wanna make sure you get it. So would you read this with me? We're gonna read this sentence together out loud, all right? Picard is when God turns his attention towards you and a thing he's intending to do. Attention toward his intention. I'll say it again. Attention toward his intention. Turn to the person next to you and say, attention toward his intention. And if I could just bring this back to you for a second, isn't that really what you want? Not just that God pays attention to you, he notices you, but that he attends to his intentions for you, his plans, his hopes for you. He attends to your situation, your crisis, your unfulfilled promise. He attends to your sadness. He, he attends to your fear. When, when, when we ask, is God ignoring me? It's not that we think he's turned his back on us. It's, am I on his mind even? Does he care enough to do something about me? 
And what I want you to know is that for 25 years, Sarah shows patience. She shows incredible patience, waiting for God to pay attention to his intention that she would give birth to this baby, Isaac. And I'll tell you, Part of how you and I respond to a God who picards us is with patience, knowing that he is faithful to do what he always intended and promised to do. Abraham is the first person to know this word, picard. It comes from his experience of what God wants to do with Sarah, the time that God paid attention to her and the thing he was intending to do. And Abraham passes picard down. Now let's step out of the text for a second. Imagine, imagine telling the story to your son about the time that his mom was 90 years old and gave birth to him. My, my kids often ask me on their birthday to tell the story of what it was like when Andrea told me she was pregnant and what it was like when she went into labor and I took her to the hospital and what it was like when I saw them for the very first time. No doubt Abraham tells his son Isaac this story. And what does he say to his son when his 10-year-old son is blown away that his mom, who is 100 years old, gave birth to him? He says, God pacotted your mom, Isaac. That's what happened, Isaac. God pacotted. Isaac very likely learns this word pacod from his dad. Now, I'm going to show you a few more instances of the word pakad, but there's something that I need to teach you first. In Judaism, there is something called midrash. Now, I, as I say it, I can almost see it in your eyes. This is the moment you think it's time to tune out. I'm already learning one Hebrew word today. How many of these are you going to give me in one day? Hang with me. I think you're going to like this. Midrash is not a word that we find much in the Bible. It's a concept. Actually, it's a method. It's, it's the word we use for how ancient people would translate their scripture at the time. Midrash is essentially somebody's commentary on what they're seeing in ancient scripture. Now, we have commentaries that we use as Christians, as a pastor. When I'm teaching you, I'm looking at all sorts of commentaries, books that are trying to explain even one little verse that we might talk about on a Sunday. It's kind of the same thing as Midrash. And, and I'll tell you, we have more than one commentary. There, there are literally thousands of commentaries that scholars have written, people who've studied scripture have written to try to help us interpret it. Well, in ancient Israel, the name for all of their commentaries was Midrash. Someone's attempt to explain what scripture says and why it says what it says. Although in their case, often in the most ancient Midrash, it was commentary on the stories that they were telling. Because scripture wasn't written yet, it was all oral tradition. When rabbis would teach people their scripture, which was done through storytelling, they would comment on it, like I'm commenting on scripture right now. And that commentary on what the story means or what a word in a story means, it's what's known as midrash. And this morning, to help you understand the word pakad and what it meant to the Israelites, you need to know some midrash. One disclaimer, midrash itself is not scripture. In fact, sometimes it's full of legend. This one is, but it doesn't mean it's not useful. In this case, it at least helps us understand what the word pakad meant to God's people who were hearing it at the time. And the Midrash I want to tell you about today was written by a number of rabbis and dates back to the 800s and the 900s. This Midrash tells the story of the word pakad. And it actually tells us, you ready for this? That the word pakad becomes a secret code or handshake for God's people. This is about to get real Da Vinci code on you. You ready for this? You know what a secret handshake is? 
A secret handshake can be a, a literal handshake or a greeting that lets somebody know you're part of a secret club or a secret group that only they would know you're in because they know the handshake. And the Midrash tells us that pakad, this word, becomes a secret greeting. Here's what it says. The Midrash tells us that Abraham uses this word to describe God paying attention to his wife Sarah and his intentions for her. And then the story goes that Isaac, once he gets it from his dad, passes it down to his son, Jacob. And the legend goes that Jacob passes it down to his son, Joseph. Now you need to know a little bit of the Joseph story to understand the rest of this midrash and this coat. Uh, even if you haven't spent a lot of time in church or reading the Bible, you might know a little bit of the Joseph story, right? Uh, Joseph was a dreamer. His dad gave him a coat of many colors. I use this picture because I always like the Donny Osmond version of Joseph. <laughs> his jealous brothers sell him into slavery and, and they tell his dad, which is Jacob, by the way, right? Up here we see that it's Jacob. They tell him that Joseph is dead, that he's been ripped apart by wild animals. And Joseph becomes a slave in Egypt, a slave to a man named Potiphar who is an officer in the court of Pharaoh. And all of that is important because, because the next time we see the word Picard in the Bible is in Genesis 39. Joseph is using it to tell his story. And he's explaining that he has been pacotted by this man Potiphar, who's an official serving under Pharaoh in Egypt. And here's what it says. Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar pacotted him of his household and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. The next time we see the word pacotted used, pacotted is used here to say Potiphar paid attention to Joseph. And made him head of the household and the servant in charge of everything he owned. The Midrash tells us that Abraham gave this to his son Isaac. Isaac gave it to Jacob. Jacob gave it to his son Joseph. And Joseph used it here to describe how Potiphar paid attention to him and his intentions for him. And this word is being passed down from generation to generation. But there is a problem. As far as Jacob knew, his son Joseph was dead. After all, his brothers had shown Jacob Joseph's tattered and blood-stained robe, right? So what would Jacob do to keep the tradition alive and pass the code down? I mean, who would he tell the secret code to of Jewish redemption? The legend is that he tells another one of his sons, Asher. And it is now Joseph and Asher who are stewards of the secret word, who have the word pakad. Joseph ends up becoming quite a big deal in Egypt, and he ends up reuniting with that family that he lost many years earlier, his dad and all of his brothers. And while things are generally good for Joseph and his family in Egypt, they must start turning bad by the end of his life. Because in Genesis 50, he uses this word again. He's come to the end of his life, and in verse 24, we read, then Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will surely pacad you and take you up out of this land to the land he promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and jo Jacob. And Joseph made the Israelites swear an oath and said, God will pacad you, and then you must carry my bones up from this place. In other words, things have started to go bad in Egypt. We're going to need to get to a promised land, a land that God has in store for us, free from what Egypt has in store for us. 
And Joseph recognizes in this moment, it's gonna take divine effort to get out of Egypt into a land of their own. And so his family makes an oath that when redemption someday comes, they will bring his bones with them and bury them in the promised land. Joseph says, Pakad, God will pay attention to his intentions for you, for us. Just like he did our great grandmother, Sarah, he will pakad you. I want you to see what Joseph does here. He uses the word pakad to give hope to other people. It's gonna get bad. It's gonna get worse before it gets better, but know that God is paying attention and he's gonna fulfill his intentions for you. And maybe some of you need to hear that today. God is paying attention. He'll not ignore the promises that he's made for you, the plans that he has for you, that God is faithful. Now, this part is not midrash. This is in the Bible. Joseph uses the word pakad right there. Twice in those two verses, and his brothers, especially Asher, hear that God will pay attention and fulfill his intentions, and Joseph dies. Who will pass down the word? The legend is that Asher tells the word to his daughter, Sarah. Now, I know that this is a lot so far, and I want to make sure you're getting it, and I haven't entirely lost you. So we're going to read together the names of these people, who passed it down to the person who passed it down to the next person. We're going to just go through these together. So will you read them with me? We'll start with Abraham at the top. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, but Joseph is supposedly dead, then Asher, Sarah. Now, we know from the Bible, things do go real bad in Egypt. And all of the Israelites are taken into captivity and they're made slaves to the Egyptians. And and while there's lots of speculation about how long this slavery in Egypt lasted, we can't be certain, we know it's many, many years. What's not speculation is that a man named Moses has God appear to him in a burning bush. And God says, Moses, I have seen the misery of my people. I've heard them crying out, and I have come to rescue them. And Moses, I'm sending you to bring my people up out of Egypt. And Moses says, well, what if I go to them, and I tell them that you've sent me, God, and they don't believe me? And God says, Moses, this is what you're to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Go assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob appeared to me and said, I have pakad you and I have seen what has been done to you in Egypt and I have promised to bring you up out of your misery. Moses asks, how will they really know you sent me that I come on your behalf? And God says, you say to them that God has pakaded them. Back to all those translations earlier. You say to them, I am gracious to them, or or that I will visit them, or that I will deal with them, or you tell them that I have taken note. Moses, you tell them, while I have never ignored them, now I will pay attention to them and what I have been intending all along. That is in the Bible. Here's the legend. Moses arrives. And he goes to the elders and he says, okay, God has sent me to lead you out of captivity. I am being sent by the I am, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And the elders are not quite sure whether they should believe him. And so they go to the oldest living descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that they can find. Her name is Sarah. 
the now very old daughter of Asher, and they say, a man has come making promises of freedom and showing us magical signs, and Sarah, exhausted from a lifetime of disappointed promises, she has seen her share of pretend deliverers. She says, pay no attention to the magic. This guy is another phony. But then the elders say, one other thing, he said to tell you, God picards you. And suddenly, she realized that all these years of waiting and suffering have been building to this moment. This Moses, she says, this Moses is the man who will redeem Israel. For that is the word that I learned from my father, that someday God would pacat us. The time has come. That is a lot of story today. You may feel like you know more about the Midrash and ancient Jewish commentary than you ever wanted to know, but it's important. It's important because you need to know that God picards you. He has not ignored you. You need to know he's paying attention to what's going on in your life. He is paying so much attention and he's paying attention to his intentions for you. And I know the time it takes for him to fulfill his intentions can seem so long, 25 years for Sarah. But I want to tell you today, you can have patience because he is faithful. God picards you. In fact, this secret word is a word that God has for you. This is a word that continues to be passed down, and it is a word that you have been waiting for. This word is as true for you as it was for Abraham and his wife, Sarah. It is as true for you as it was for Joseph. It is as true as it was for Moses and Sarah. And God proves his picard for you in the person of Jesus who will redeem all of us with his death on the cross. What you have got to know today, no matter how bad it has gotten, how long it seems like it's taking, how far away from redemption that you or your situation might feel, God picards you. He has taken notice of you. He is focused on you, and he will fulfill his intentions. I asked Derek to come back out, and, and, and with Colleen, lead us in a song today as we close. And, and in a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand and sing with them. But before you do, can I just ask you to bow your heads with me for a second? And, I want to try something with you. Would you just bring to mind the thing right now, the thing in your life that you need God to pay attention to? The thing that you need to know he will not ignore. And as you put your attention on that, we're going to sing about how God is putting his attention on that too. Would you stand?